Thank you for your love and your gifts of love today. If you have your Bible, I'm in Hebrews, the 12th chapter today. Hebrews, the 12th chapter, as you find your way there. If the, when the service ends today, if you didn't get a chance to greet our graduates, they're going to be at their graduate tables in the gym, and I would urge you to go through and shake their hand, congratulate them, amen. You can drop gifts back there for them, and we'll celebrate a meal with their families uh, at noon at the close of our service today. I want you to continue to be in prayer today. It's great to see, uh, great to see Roy and Mary Anderson with us today. You continue to lift them up in prayer today on Wednesday. Uh, we will be having uh, the funeral for Scott Anderson. He'll be here at the church. The visitation is at 11, and the service is at noon. So please lift their family up during this time and just carry them in prayer. Will you promise to do that today? Just pledge your prayerful support. Amen. Continue to lift them up to the Lord today. And so we want to go to the Lord in prayer and ask once again His blessing on the Word as we prepare to hear His voice in His Word. Amen. Would you pray with me? Father, you are good and your word is true and we believe that when the Bible speaks, you speak. And so Lord, today we come lifting our hearts up to you, believing you to address us today from the pages of your word and Lord, we will be benefited by it and we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen. What an honor to celebrate the academic success and achievement of our graduates today all across the building. Uh, many of you feel like you have crossed the finish line, amen, that you finished a great endeavor, and indeed you have in many ways. And while we congratulate you on your accomplishment, I want to challenge the idea that you just crossed the finish line, and I want to tell you, not so fast. Say that with me, not so fast, all right? I have a friend who every year who runs the Boston Marathon and he gathers up there on Easter weekend and he runs that great historic race and he does it every year. But in order to run the Boston Marathon, you can't just show up and you can't just sign up. In order to run the Boston Marathon, you have to qualify for the race. Say qualify. In other words, before you can even show up for that race, you have to run another race and log a time on that race that is low enough that they feel like you're good enough to even show up at Boston on race day and run that one. So there's a qualifying race, and then you get to run the actual race. Amen? And that, that's how it works at the Boston Marathon. I want to tell you, in many ways, that's how it works in life. Amen? So if you've graduated today, whether from high school or college, let me say to you, congratulations on finishing your qualifying race. Now we invite you to line up at the starting block for the real event. Amen? And some of you who've already been adulting for a while know exactly what I mean. Amen? The real event is about to start. You finished the qualifying round. Now I would like to welcome you to the Boston Marathon. Amen? I hope that doesn't discourage you. I hope it encourages you. You have qualified for the real deal. And we are excited about that. And we celebrate and honor that with you today. But what that means is you are about to step up. I hope you catch your breath. I hope you enjoy the moment. Cameron, I hope you go to Disney World because you're going to need it. Amen. You're going to need it. Because when Disney World is over and when the, when the new of graduation wears off, there will be life commencing very quickly on the heels of it. Amen. All the people who've been there said... Amen. It's the truth, isn't it? It's the truth. And so I want to talk to you today about running the race, about running for your life. 
I want to challenge you to run for your life. Say that with me. Run for your life. There was an old song in the Holiness Church that used to say, I'm running for my life. If anybody asks you what's the matter with me, just tell them I'm saved and sanctified, Holy Ghost filled and fire baptized. I've got Jesus on my mind and I'm running for my life. Amen. I hope today you are running for your life. Running, running the race with Jesus. Hebrews 12 is our text today. The opening three verses. Hear the word of the Lord today. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. And may God bless the reading of his word and his people said, Amen. I want to tell you there are three great lessons this morning about running for your life. If we're going to run to win, there's three lessons we must learn. And the first lesson is this. If we're going to run for our lives, if we're going to run to win, then we have to lose the weight. Say that with me. Lose the weight. I love that. He warns us here. He said, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Chapter 12 and verse 1. Runners don't usually dress for fashion. And honestly, they don't dress for modesty either, right? right? You wear as little as possible when you show up at a race. You don't want anything slowing you down or hindering you in your ability to run. In fact, I've even seen people, you know, oil up and shave their arms and shave their legs. Guys doing that. Why? They say, I don't want any wind resistance when I run this race. Now, I can't imagine there'd be that much wind resistance, amen, that you'd need to do all that. But people who take it seriously are willing to do anything to shave even a second off their time because sometimes a second is the difference between first place and first loser, amen? (laughs) And they want to win, and so they strip off the weight. They lose the weight. You would never see a race, uh, someone running a race carrying a backpack loaded down with heavy gear, amen? In the same way, the writer of Hebrews urges Christians, strip off anything that slows you down. Get rid of anything that hinders your ability to run quickly the race that is set before you. And so he warns us about two categories, extra weight and besetting sins. The first category is just dead weight. Say that with me. Dead weight. Sometimes we have dead weight in life. There are things that may not be sin, but they're just not of any benefit to us. They're distractions. They hinder and slow down. And that's what he refers to here in verse 1. Let us lay aside every weight, he says in the beginning of verse 1. Every weight. Say that with me. Every weight. Many things slow us down and hinder our progress in the Christian life. They're not sin, they're just dead weight. In our culture, we are overwhelmed by options overwhelmed by options. I will never forget a missionary friend of mine who came home from the mission field and walked in the grocery store for the very first time. And when they went down the aisle in Publix to buy some sandwich meat, they stood there frozen in amazement. 
because they'd been in a country where you went to the grocery store and there were very few options, a very small store, and if you wanted sliced turkey, you might find sliced turkey. They walked in Publix and they stood there and instead of sliced turkey, they found honey-smoked turkey. They found regular smoked turkey. They found non-smoked turkey. They found it thin-sliced and thick-sliced and deli-sliced. They found large packs and small packs and all kind of packs. And they stood there just dumbfounded at the choices they had to make just to go home with a turkey sandwich for lunch that day. We are overwhelmed by options. Say options. Whenever we turn on our television set, right, you've got 135 channels and you still can't find anything worth watching, right? We are overwhelmed by options. Sometimes Shay will go get a bath and I'll turn on the television and she'll say, now find us something to watch. And the problem is when she comes back, I'm still just scrolling, looking at all these things. And she says, what are we watching? I said, I've narrowed it down to about three and I need you to help me pick. Options. We're overwhelmed by options. Many times, I want to tell you, graduates, you're going to be overwhelmed by options. A lot of times, we don't have a problem knowing what we don't have a problem because we don't have options, right? When I was in college, my BSU director would ask me, he would say, how do you decide what you're going to do? And I said, I just walk through the next open door. God opens the door and I walk through it. He said, what are you going to do when multiple doors open at once? And I said, well, I never had that problem before. He said, you will and you'll have to know what to do. Can I tell you guys something? You're living in a world where there are often multiple doors open at once, and you need God's wisdom and grace to know which ones to walk through and which ones don't fit you, and God can help you to do that, amen? But if you're not careful, you'll get distracted by things that don't really matter, and you'll get sidetracked by that. We often are overwhelmed by options. A lot of dead weight uh, attacks our lives, and three big areas of dead weight. One is budget busters. Say that with me. Budget busters. There are a lot of options for your money. There are a lot of things out there that want your money. There are a lot of things competing for your money. Amen? Every time you turn on uh, media, uh, social media, the radio, the television, there are commercials, right? Unless you pay extra to avoid the commercials, right? You even have to pay to not have people try to get your money now. Isn't that drastic? Yes. Options. There are things that want to drain your money right out of your pocket. They are budget busters, and you need to be careful. And I want to urge you, graduates, get on a budget, get on a spending plan, and you need to be saving 10%, and you need to be giving 10% to God and living on the other 80%. And when your standard of, of living goes up, whenever you're, you get a raise, I want to tell you what, raise the saving and the giving before you raise the spending. Amen? That's good advice for you. Write that down. Avoid debt as much as possible. Amen. You don't want a credit card if you can help it. And if you get one, you pay it off the balance every month. And the first month you can't pay off the balance, cut it in half. They call it a MasterCard because it'll be your master if you let it. Amen. It's a visa and it'll take you on a trip that you can't ever get off of called revolving interest. You don't want on that trip. Amen? Be careful. It's a budget buster. Say a budget buster. All right, another area is energy drainers. Say that with me. Energy drainers. Right now, if you're a graduate, you probably feel like you have an unlimited supply of energy. I want to promise you 40 is coming and you won't always have. Amen. There are things that compete for our money and there are things that compete for our energy and our passion. And I want to tell you, you can't be excited and enthusiastic about everything. You've got to pick. 
We have to choose what will have the passion and the energy and the drive of our heart. We have to learn to say no to some good things so we can say yes to the best things. I'm going to say that again. We have to say no. We all know to say no to bad things, right? But your pastor's telling you you're going to have to learn to say no to some good things so you can say yes to the best things. Because if you don't learn to say no, every time you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else. And if you sign up for everything on the front end, you won't have the opportunity to do the best things when the opportunity comes. And can I urge you today that serving God and investing in his kingdom is one of the best things and you need to make room in your, in your calendar for that. Budget busters, energy drainers, and thirdly, time wasters. Say time wasters. While some of us may be rich or poor when it comes to our money, while some of us won the metabolism lottery and are energizer bunnies and have lots of energy, I want to tell you when it comes to time, we're all equal. Every one of us wakes up in the morning with 24 hours deposited in the bank for that day and only 24 hours. And while you can make more money and while you can take a vitamin for more energy, none of us can generate a single second more to add to the calendar. We don't get any more time. Time is a limited commodity. Amen. A number of years ago, a group of statisticians figured out how we actually spend our time. And it's pretty interesting. If you were to live to be 75, years old and you could do these activities 24 hours a day without a break, let me explain to you how you would spend much of your life. You would spend three years acquiring your education. That's elementary, high school, and college. If you could go 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and never break to sleep or go to the restroom, if you could just do it straight through back to back, it would only take you three years elementary through college. You knew they were wasting a lot of time, didn't you? Yeah, they were. Three years is what it would take. You spend seven years of your life eating. Seven years of your life eating. Now, some of you, maybe a little more than seven years, amen? Maybe eight, I don't know. Some of you, maybe a little less. But about seven years of your life, your 75 years is spent eating. Fourteen years working, day and night. If you could work your whole career, the average person would only spend 14 years at work. That's sad. I would want to spend more time eating. Amen? Amen. 14 years at work. You spend five years in transportation. Five years riding around in automobiles or flying in airplanes, coming and going on your daily errands. Five years. I'm sure there's another year added for the traffic and the lights in Mobile, Alabama. Amen? Amen. Five years talking with other people. Again, some more, some less, but we spend about five years of our life on the phone or texting or having conversations with other people. You will spend about one year of your life, if you're blessed, only one year of your life recovering from sickness. About one year of your life. You will spend 24 years of your life, if you live to be 75, you will spend 24 years of your life sleeping. Amen. Some of you said, yeah, pastor, and those are some of the best years, right? Yeah. Sleeping, napping, getting your eight hours in at night if you're lucky. Three years of your life reading books, magazines, newspapers, uh, scrolling the internet. Twelve years in amusement, watching TV, going to the movies, fishing, hunting, doing things that you enjoy. And if you go 75 years and never miss a single Sunday, you will have only spent 11 months in church. Did you hear me? Pastor, it feels longer when you're preaching. I know it does. <laughs> but the math doesn't lie. 11 
months. 11 months. Amen. In the house of God. No wonder the psalmist said, Lord, teach us to number our days aright that we may gain a heart of wisdom. No wonder Paul said, let us walk carefully, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, don't be unwise, but wise, knowing what the will of the Lord is for your life. Amen? So we got to watch out for dead weight. Say dead weight. And we've got to watch out for sinful snares. Sin is an issue, and all sin is dangerous and deadly, and it will set us back greatly. The writer of Hebrews warns us to be on our guard against the sin which so easily ensnares us. That's what he calls it at the end of verse 1. There, everyone struggles with sin in some way, and I want to tell you, dead weight can slow us down, but sinful snares can stop you dead in your tracks. All sin is dangerous and potentially deadly, but if we're honest, most of us don't struggle with seven or eight major issues. Most people battle the same two or three over and over and over again throughout the course of their life. It may be sins of the flesh like lust or pornography, fornication, drunkenness, drug abuse. It may be sins of the tongue like gossip or rudeness or profanity. It may be sins of the heart like envy and jealousy, uh, hatred, bitterness, unforgiveness, anger and rage. But I want to tell you, until we get serious about dealing with our besetting sins, we will make about as much progress in the Christian race as a runner with both shoelaces tied together. You will trip and fall at every turn until you deal with the sin. If you don't deal with your sin, it will deal with you. John Owen, the great Puritan writer, used to say, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Amen. It's the truth. And so the writer of Hebrews warns us we need to deal with both the dead weight, say dead weight, and the sinful snares, say sinful snares. Today, if you're struggling with some area in your Christian life, I want to urge you, maybe you feel stuck. Can I urge you today? Pray on it. Repent. Ask God to help you. And if you're stuck, let someone help you get unstuck. Every Tuesday night here at the Forest Hill Church, there's a great ministry called Celebrate Recovery. And that ministry meets here every week. It's led by Josh and Chelsea Rogers. And they do a great job with their team. And they meet upstairs in the education building. And if you've got hurts, habits, or hang-ups, they would love to meet with you and help you find victory and learn how to overcome and walk the way the Lord would have you to walk. Amen? Sometimes you need some help. We've got some help to offer, and we urge you to come and get unstuck. But the bottom line is if you're going to run to win, you've got to lose the weight. Say, lose the weight. And number two, you've got to run the race. Say, run the race. This is a race, and we must run it. It requires something of us. Paul said to the Galatians, you ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Paul said to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 9 and 24, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And we just read in verse 1 of this passage, let us run with endurance, the race that is set before us. If we're going to run the race, it's going to require something of us. Number one, it's going to require effort. Say effort. Running is hard work. Amen? I don't know if you've ever run a race. Maybe you have. Some of you say, if I'm running, you better run too because something's behind me, right? Amen? 
Amen. Some of you, your favorite Bible verse is the wicked flee when no one chases. And so you're not running. You say, no, I'm I'm not wicked. I'm not going to run like that. Some of you enjoy running. Some of you, it's a thrill for you. Can I tell you today, if you're going to run, it requires effort. It takes effort on our part. And if we're going to live for the Lord, if we're going to finish the race, it takes effort on our part. G.K. Chesterton once said, the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It was found difficult and left untried at all. And I think that's often true. Effort is required in this race. Paul tells the Colossians in chapter 1 verse 29, he says, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. God provides the strength, but I must toil. I must put forth the effort. God strengthens while we struggle, but he will not do it all for us. We must do the work. Amen? If you're praying for a mountain to move in your life, don't be surprised if you wake up next to a shovel in the morning. Amen? Yes, God will provide, but effort is required. We must run the race and it will take effort. Say effort. Let us run with endurance the race set before us. Number two, it takes endurance. Endurance, it requires endurance in order to run this race. The ability to persevere, the ability to bear up under hardship and trial, the ability to keep going when the going gets tough. That's the word. The word in the Greek is the word hupomene. Hupo means under, and mene means to bear. It means to bear up under a load. It means to, to strain under a heavy burden and not give in or lose heart. Amen. And so it takes some endurance in order to run this race, and we must run it with that. Second Timothy chapter 2, he tells us of this. Jesus said in Matthew 24, He who endures to the end shall be saved. Endure. Paul tells Timothy, you must endure hardship like a good soldier of Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 3. Down in verse 12 he goes on and says, for if we endure, we will also reign with him. Amen. Jesus in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2, the Bible says he endured the cross. He endured it. He persevered through it, despising the shame. It's going to take endurance. And number three, it's going to take encouragement. Say encouragement. If you're going to run the race, you're going to need to be encouraged along the journey. You're going to need someone to come alongside you and keep you encouraged. You need a tribe. You need a group of friends. You need some people who will pump you up and who will keep you going when everything in you wants to quit and sit down. We're not running the race alone. God placed us on a team. You're not running by yourself. You're part of a great cross-country team. And you need people who will encourage you and who will speak life into you whenever you struggle and falter in the race. Ecclesiastes 4 says, two are better than one. Amen? Two are better than one. They have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls. For he has no one to help him up. Hebrews chapter 10 tells us, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. I need a group of people that I can meet together with every week for worship and fellowship. I need friends who will notice if I begin to lose energy or get discouraged and who will pick up the phone or shoot me a text or show up at my house with a donut and a cup of coffee and say, how's it going? Can I pray for you? 
Everyone needs people like that in your life. I've watched over the last few weeks as some of our members have walked through great difficulty and hard trial and loss. And over and over I've heard them testify, Pastor, my friends have been so good to me. Our church has been so good to me. My life group, my growth group, my Sunday school class, they've just showed up and offered encouragement and support and help. I love to hear that because that's why we belong to one another. It's not just that we gather here on Sunday morning. It is that we check on one another throughout the week and we offer one another encouragement. Say encouragement. I need a group of people like that, and so do you. On the days when we feel weak, their prayers and words can motivate us to keep moving forward. In 1 Samuel chapter 23 and verse 16, the Bible says that Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David in the woods and strengthened his hand in God. Sometimes you need somebody to strengthen your hand in God. You need someone to grab hold with you and to keep you from losing your grip. We all need encouragement, amen? It requires encouragement. So if we're going to run the race, we've got to lose the weight. Say, lose the weight. And we've got to run the race. Say, run the race. And lastly, this morning, if you're going to finish well, you're going to have to fix your gaze. Say that with me. Fix your gaze on the Lord Jesus. He tells us in verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. One version says, fixing your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. I love that. Fix your eyes. Set your gaze. That's what the Greek word literally means. It is to stare at it. It is to lock on to it and to not take your eyes off of it. That is what is required for us in order to run. We have to stay focused. Say focused. Years ago, I heard the story uh, about a crossing guard at the U.S.-Mexican border. This man on his bicycle came across every day. His name was Pedro Gonzalez. And Pedro was stopped every day by the border guard. And he would have two sacks on his back every day when he crossed the border. Every day, they would ask him, Pedro, what's in the bag? Sand, just sand. They would open the bag and they would look in the bag and it would just be sand and they would send him on his way. The next day, Pedro would come back on his bicycle and he would have two bags and they would say, what's in the bag, Pedro? Just sand. They would dump them out and it would just be sand and he would have to scoop them back and put them on his shoulder and get on the bike and go on across the border. This went on day after day, month after month. They called, They made him empty his pockets inside out. They checked every way they knew to check. The border guard was sure he was smuggling something. Even so, Pedro was free to go every time. They could never catch him. He would scoop the sand in his hands. He would reload his two sacks, put them on his shoulders, and get across the border. A week later, it happened. It happened again and again. As Pedro was leaving, the border guard thought, maybe he's just testing me. Maybe he's going to keep doing this, hoping I'll quit searching his sacks. Well, I know he's got to be a smuggler, so I'm going to stop him every single time. That Mexican won't fool me, he said. This went on every month for, every week for months. For six months, every time they would stop him and there was nothing but sand in his bag. A few days later, the guard happened to meet Pedro in El Paso on a trip. Say, friend, you're about to drive me crazy. I know you're smug. I knew you were smuggling something across the border. I won't say a word. I won't turn you in. I won't rat you out. But I've just got to know, what are you smuggling? And a big grin came across Pedro's face and he said, bicycles. 
You see, that guard's focus was on the wrong thing the whole time. And he missed what was right under his nose every time Pedro came through. But Pedro came through on a different bike every time. And no one noticed it. I want to tell you today, if we're going to run the race, we're going to have to be focused. Say focused. We're going to have to pay attention. We're going to have to fix our gaze on Jesus. We're going to have to fasten our eyes on the Lord. We're going to have to do that. And so that means we're going to have to stop looking some other places. Number one, don't look back. Say don't look back. Many of us waste far too much time looking back over our shoulder. The Word of God warns us against that. Jesus said, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Paul urges us to forget those things that are behind and to press toward the things that are ahead. Maybe you've got a lot of hurt in your past. Could I tell you, grieve it. Go get in the care of a good counselor if you need to process through it. But don't get stuck in yesterday. Don't get stuck in yesterday. Move beyond it and get to the place where you can move forward and don't look back. Say, don't look back. Number two, can I tell you, don't look around. Say that with me. Don't look. Don't look around. Isaiah 41.10, look not around to thee, is what the prophet said. That's good advice. I think this is what Peter did whenever he was beginning to walk on the water, but he took his eyes off the Lord Jesus when he saw the waves and the wind and he began to sink. Matthew 14 says, when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and he began to sink and cried out saying, Lord, save me. Verse 30 says, when he saw the wind, I want to tell you, if he kept his eyes on Jesus, he wouldn't have seen the wind. You and I can only focus on one thing at the time. Amen? That's the reality. You can, your focus, your attention can only be one place at the time. And if you're going to run the race, you're going to need it on Jesus early and often. His eyes changed his direction. He began to look around. And when he started looking at the circumstances instead of the Savior, he started sinking. Amen? Look unto Jesus. Say that with me. Look unto Jesus. That's verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. The message says it this way. Keep your eyes on Jesus who began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish in and with God. Stretching all the way from Georgia to Maine is one of the most frequently hiked trails in the United States. Some of you have been on it. Some of you have hiked part of it. It's called the Appalachian Trail. It starts at Stringer Mountain in Georgia and it ends 2,200 miles later at Mount Katahdin in Maine. It is the longest hiking trail, hiking only trail in the world. Most of the journey is through thick forest and you can easily lose your way and get swallowed up by an enormous wilderness. Your only hope is to keep your eyes trained on the 80,000 white crosses that they've got painted on the trees every few feet apart. Painted on trees and rocks and fence posts along the way. As long as you see the cross, as long as you can focus on the next one and keep moving, you're going to be okay. But if you lose sight of the cross on the Appalachian Trail, you will lose your way. And I want to tell you it's not only true on the Appalachian Trail, it's true in the, in, the run, in the race of life. If you get your eyes off the cross, if you lose sight of Jesus and His cross, you will lose your way. Fixing your eyes on Jesus. Wow. Why? Because He's the author of salvation. 
He's the one who led us into this relationship with God. He's the one who saves us by his grace. Isaiah 45 and 22, look unto me and be saved all the ends of the earth. When the story of the brazen serpent, everyone who was snake bitten and dying, their only hope of salvation was to look to that pole where that brazen serpent was lifted. Jesus said in John chapter 3, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. And whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. If you have never looked to Jesus for salvation, I urge you to look to Jesus today. Fix your eyes on him. Ask Jesus to come into your life and save you. Fix your attention on him. We're saved by looking to Jesus. He's our author of salvation and he's our source of motivation. Not only do we start the journey with Jesus, Jesus is the one who strengthens us all along the journey. Verse 3, consider him who endured such hostility uh, from sinners against himself so you don't become weary and discouraged in your soul. Jesus will keep you encouraged along the way if you'll keep your eyes on him. Nothing can fill the heart of a Christian with more courage and strength than looking unto Jesus. Consider him, look to him, verse 2 says, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Number 3, Jesus is our hope of preservation. He's the only one who can get us across the finish line at the end. He died to save us and he lives to keep us. Philippians 1.6, we quoted it last Sunday, and I am persuaded of this, that he who began a good work in us will be faithful to carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Good athletes do not focus on the noisy critics yelling at them from the bleachers. Good athletes are focused on the voice of their coach on the sideline and they listen to him and they do what he says because they know that he's committed to getting them through to the best possible end. Whatever has your attention has you. In the race, the judge would stand at the finish line holding a garland wreath uh, to crown the victor and they would fix their eyes on him and they would run toward him knowing that he was going to crown them if they made it across the line. Fix your eyes. The Greek means to consider attentively, to look away from everything else and focus on one thing. When our eyes are focused, we don't veer off the road. When our eyes are focused, we steer clear of potholes. When our eyes are focused, we avoid the dark areas of life. How do we stay focused, Pastor? Well, I want to tell you there's some good ways to give attention to God. The first way is prayer. Say prayer. We pray and we spend much time in prayer. Prayer is a great way to give undevoted attention to God. Let God get to me before the day does. Talk to him before you post on on Facebook, before you check your Instagram, before you reply to a text, before you open your email or return a phone call. Let God get to you first. Spend time in prayer. The second way is the Bible. Some of you received the Bible today as a gift, a very good one. Our high school grads did. We got our girls a great gift. It was it's called the She Reads Truth Bible. It's the one that Shay uses personally uh, in her quiet time. I hope you'll be blessed by that. It's a wonderful study Bible. Our guys got a copy of the New Living Translation of the Life Application Bible. That's my favorite, so I got you that one. Amen. And I hope you'll enjoy it and be blessed by it. We got you a good one. And, and I hope it'll, it'll, it'll be an encouragement to you. I hope it won't just be a gift that you put on a shelf. I hope it'll be something that you wear the pages out on because it was meant for that. It was meant for that. I'll make you a deal. You wear it out and I'll buy you another one. Amen? Amen. It's genuine leather. It's going to take you a minute. 
Amen. Wear it out. We'll get you another one. People who have a Bible that's falling apart usually have a life that isn't. Get in the pages of that book. Reading God's Word is a good way to give attention to God. Let God's Word get to you. Take time every day and let the Word remind you of what is true. Finally, the church. Spending time in worship. The church is a great place to give undevoted attention to God, undivided attention to God. Every few days, my spiritual ADD kicks back in and I fall asleep and I have to be reminded of who I am and why I'm here and what is true because the world has a way of rocking us asleep and making us forget. And so about every three days, you need to come back to church and let your pastor or your Sunday school teacher grab you and shake you and go, hey, let me remind you, you are a child of God you have a destiny you have a purpose you're here for a reason you have a mission to accomplish you have an enemy to fight and he's hot on your trail and if you fall asleep he'll come after you and sneak up on your blind side you need to stay alert be sober be vigilant you have a task to accomplish and you have a God to serve and who will support you in that endeavor we need to be reminded of that when we come to God's house we get reminded so set your reminder let God's house be a a benefit to you worship Bible studies growth groups I haven't said anything that you don't already know but we are prone to forget aren't we we're prone to let what we know slip through our fingers and I want to tell you it's not how much of God's word you know it's how much of God's word you live it's not enough to know the Bible you have to apply the Bible Jesus said it this way, anyone who hears my words and does them is like a man who builds his house on the rock. But anyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice, whoa, whoa, did you catch that? His life is built on the sand. It didn't say the person who doesn't know my word, his life is on the sand. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said the person whose life is built on sand actually knows the Bible. Did you hear it? He hears these words of mine, but does not put them into practice. He is like one who builds his life on the sand. I want to tell you, there are a lot of people who go to church every Sunday. There are a lot of people who hear God's word. There are a lot of people who know the Bible as well as I do, and they're still building their life on the sand. Because it isn't how much Bible you know, it's how much Bible you live. It isn't enough to hear these words of mine, Jesus said. Jesus said, and put them into practice. We must be doers of the word and not hearers only, James 1.26 said. Or we will deceive ourselves. It's not enough to know it. We must apply it. Hear me today. As the old hymn writer said, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. That's true of us. We need God to come and help us. And we need to keep our attention fixed on Him. I urge you this year, fix your eyes on Jesus. Why? Because in Jesus there's full acceptance, so don't doubt Him. In Jesus there is peace, so trust Him. In Jesus there's life, so abide in Him. In Jesus there's blessing, so delight yourself in Him. In Jesus there is light, so follow Him. In Jesus there's power, So wait on Him. In Jesus, there's truth, so learn from Him. 
In Jesus, there's grace, so receive from Him. In Jesus, there's joy, so rejoice in Him. In Jesus, there's unlimited wealth, so depend on Him. And in Jesus, there is strength, so lean on Him. But if you'll fix your eyes on Jesus, you'll find Him to be everything that you need. He is all we need. He'll hold you up in the time of trial. I wanted you to stand with me this morning as we close in prayer. And I want to ask you today, have you identified any dead weight in your life today? Any budget busters or any energy drainers, any time wasters? Maybe today you need to go home and cut some dead weight out of your life. <laughs> Maybe today you've said yes to too many things. Maybe you need to learn to say yes to some good things so you can say no to some good things so you can say yes to the best things. And I hope serving in God's house will be considered one of the best things by you. Amen. Dead weight and deadly sin. I hope you'll deal with that today. Number two, I'm hoping today that you'll identify your next step. Do you need to repent? Do you need to tell somebody? Do you need to show up at Celebrate Recovery on Tuesday night and find some support? Come join us. We'd love to help you figure it out. Are you just hoping things will work out or are you giving an honest effort today? It requires effort to run this race. Effort and endurance do you have a tribe to encourage you? You're going to need one. You know, it's, it's always disheartening to me that some people, whenever they graduate, that becomes the time that they disconnect from the house of God. Our hope is that you won't do that. Our hope is that this will be a season that you realize more now than ever you need your friends here at Forest Hill. You need a local church family to anchor you and to support you. We've got a wonderful ministry here for people in your, in your age bracket. We have a group that meets every Sunday morning in that college and career class. Shay teaches that class. Every Thursday night, that group gathers together and they do lots of fun things in our community and they study God's Word together and they fellowship together. That C&C group meets. Uh, Casey Hall helps lead that group along with a group of our college kids. I hope to see you there. Thursday nights, 7 o'clock. Don't miss it. Don't miss that Sunday school class, 9 o'clock on Sunday mornings. It's a great source of strength and support. Maybe you're not graduating today, but you're here and you have not tried a group. Can I urge you to do that? Plug into a life group. Plug into a growth group. There's something for every age bracket here, and they will be a strength to you. But can I tell you today, some of us need to look away from some things. Don't look back. Don't look around. Look unto Jesus. Some of us need to fix our eyes today. We're distracted by too much else and we need to give undivided attention to Jesus through prayer, through His Word, and through being faithful to His church. Are you doing that? If not, fix it today. C.S. Lewis said it this way, first we make our choices and then our choices make us. They make us. Make the decision today that you're going to fix your gaze on Jesus. Will you bow your head with me? Father, I pray today for those under the sound of my voice who've come today to your house to celebrate with our graduates, Lord, who have uh, crossed a mile marker. Lord, they have, they've excelled, they've exceeded expectations, and we're so proud of them. Lord, for those today that have crossed the, the line of their high school graduation, those who have finished uh, their undergrad, or even those who have checked the box of, uh, of their master's program, Father, wherever they are in the journey today, we pray your blessing for them. But Lord, I pray for each one of us today. 
whether we are celebrating a recent milestone or not, all of us, all of us are running the race of life. We're running the Christian race. And I pray today that you would strengthen us for that journey. Lord, today, wherever we are, help us to hear and learn the lessons to lose the weight, to say no to some things, to put away some things that are hindrances, and to be very deliberate about identifying them and cutting them loose. Lord, I pray today that you would help us to find the strength we need for the effort and the endurance. And Lord, may we be an encouragement to one another on this journey. Father, I pray lastly today that we would fix our eyes on Jesus. There may be some in the room who need to look unto Jesus for the very first time as their Lord and Savior. I pray that today they would do that. Lord, there may be some who have done that, but they have lost focus and they've become distracted. And today they need to refocus their attention on the Lord Jesus. They need to fix their gaze once again on Christ. They need to come back and make a fresh commitment to the Lord. And I pray that today they would do that as well. They'd say, Lord Jesus, forgive me. Forgive me for wandering. Forgive me for losing my focus. Lord, I need you and I know that I do. Now more than ever, Lord, help me to regain my footing. Help me to get my feet under me solidly. Help me, Lord, to be able to run with endurance the race of the Christian life. Father, I pray today that you would help us all to be an encouragement to one another, to keep our eyes on you and to keep our words of encouragement flowing to one another. Lord, exhorting one another all the more as we see the day of your return approaching. And we bless you and we thank you for it. Every head bowed for just a moment. If you're here and you say, Pastor, I need to look unto Jesus and be saved. Never trusted him, but I need to do that. If you're here today, would you slip up your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. I need to trust Christ. That's something I've not done. You hear? Just being honest with the Lord. Maybe you're here and you say, Pastor, I have history with God, but if I'm honest, I have lost focus today. And today I need to recommit my heart and recommit my life to fixing my eyes on Jesus and to walking with Him and running this race with Him. Are you here? Yeah. Just being honest. Say, Pastor, pray for me. Maybe you're here today and you just need encouragement. If you're honest, you're in a rough part of the journey. You say, Pastor, this is a hard trial that I'm facing. And you just need the encouragement and the strength of God today. And you say, Pastor, would you pray for me? The leg of the journey I'm in right now, I could really use some extra encouragement and help and energy. I just need the Lord to lay his hand on me today. Will you here? Just slip up your hand and say, man, that's me. Yeah. Yeah, just being honest with the Lord. Lord, that's me. I need your help. Would you pray one more time? Father, in the name of Jesus. I pray for our friends today who just need you to lay your hand on them that right where they stand in this moment they would feel the strength of God. That Lord, they would exchange their strength for yours and they would find your power to be perfect in their weakness. And Lord, I pray that your presence would be with them and right now in this moment in the stillness and in the quietness you would just fill them up with your life and your strength. And we pray for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen.